Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Deviant Little Darlings. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And if you love hearing stories about all things taboo, scandalous, and out of this world, you are in the right place. Okay, so really exciting news, everybody. We officially, on our Instagram, have two filters that you can use. So we kind of it's exciting. We kind of <laughs> hyped up the first one um, a few weeks ago. And by the time this episode comes out, actually, hopefully you'll have seen the filter uh, by then because this is going to come out about a week later. Um, but it's a really fun, you know, like early in 2020 when it was like really big to have those filters where it was like, what are you? And then something like randomly animated above your head. Yeah. And it like flips through the different things. Mm-hmm. Well, this is that, but with our stories, so you can Ooh. find out which DLD episode haunts you is the moral of the oh story. My gosh. Um, All of them haunt me. I hear our voices in my same. <laughs> in my dreams. <laughs> Literally same. So if you want to know, please go check it out. Um, if you use it, give us a little tag and we'll repost you if that's what you want. Um, but yeah, I'm super stoked about it because... Uh, they took a really long time to approve it, so <laughs> I'm excited. Like it was a lot of anticipation building. <laughs> yeah, like Katie said, we so we're actually recording this episode a week early. So by the time last week's episode comes out slash came out, <laughs> it, the filter will be there. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's gonna be super fun. Um, use it with your friends send us yeah you know if you got the episode that you like and i mean i mean we're gonna be posting like all of our own selfies so oh, yeah. <laughs> at least we'll enjoy it you're probably <laughs> gonna be annoyed <laughs> but yeah just a fun little uh treat i know we've been doing a lot of little media announcements but i'm super stoked about it um so yeah and with that being said i'll just kick us off if that's cool with you totally go for it Okay, so this story is somewhat related to my Roswell UFO story, but I'm not going to call it a deep dive because like just a little bit of a different perspective, perhaps it's like a little bit more credible. I don't know. You tell me. Okay. Okay. This is interesting because last week you did Heaven's Gate and that also had like a ufo kind of theme true so, i must just be like into that these yeah, days on an alien <laughs> trying kick. to figure some things out <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this is just what's on my mind these days so let's start at the beginning of this story with a little history about the sixth man to walk on the moon edgar mitchell Ooh, wow I an astronaut never heard of this man <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing you that's a like, I feel kind of bad because not that many people have walked on the moon, but like how many of them could you actually name? Not one. a lot. <laughs> Maybe one. Yep. <laughs> so Edgar Mitchell began his career as a Navy pilot at just 24 years old, and he has a really excellent career. He went on to complete postgraduate school through the Navy and then became a research pilot. And at 34, he received a PhD in aeronautics and astronautics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. MIT, big Ooh. stuff. Um, Ever heard of it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. A little school. You might have heard the name once or twice. Um, and then the next year, he attended the U.S. Air Force Aerospace Research Pilot School to become a test pilot. And while he was in school, working to eventually become first in his class, he also served as an instructor for astronaut candidates in advanced mathematics and navigation theory. So in case it's not super clear, he's a very intelligent man knows a lot more about math than I ever will, okay? <laughs> so in 1966, he's now 36 years old, and he's selected to be a part of NASA's fifth astronaut group. He was assigned to support crew for Apollo 9 and was backup lunar module pilot for Apollo 10, which would have put him in the ill-fated Apollo 13 flight, but due to his commander needing further training due to a medical issue, his group was switched to the Apollo 14 mission. During Apollo 13, the Apollo 13 flight, lunar landing was not completed because an oxygen, oxygen tank in one of the main components of the craft failed two days into the trip, 
which is horrifying in my nightmare. Can you imagine being in space and your oxygen fails? That um, is like the one thing I think in astronaut school 101 is not supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's bad news. That's yeah, horrible. Um, but Mitchell was a part of the team that from the ground successfully brought the crew home. And due to this, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Nixon. So Apollo 14 was his time to really shine. He and Commander Alan Shepard landed on the moon on February 5th, 1971. They were on the moon for 33 hours, so like a fun space sleepover, where they collected almost 100 pounds of lunar samples and ran experiments. And like I said, he was the sixth man to walk on the moon. And you might have actually seen a picture uh, that he took on the moon where it's like an astronaut holding the flag and then you see the other guy's like shadow. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. I think Pretty so. famous, but I'll definitely post it on our Instagram. Is that the one where people all say like, oh, they faked the moon landing with it? Probably. <laughs> they think they think it's all fake. So yeah. probably. Um, but I'll, I'll share it with you guys. And then... This specific trip was notable for a lot of reasons, some of them that I didn't quite understand, but I think the most fun one is that these guys set the record for the longest distance traversed on foot on the lunar surface. So they were really walking it up up there, guys. (laughs) So if you can't tell, this is a really well-respected astronaut, and he just logs 216 hours and 42 minutes in space, and he's set as a backup pilot for Apollo 16. But something changed when he was returning to Earth. Pause for dramatic effect, guys. Dun, dun, Um, dun. Thank you. This change was drastic enough that within a year of coming home, he retired from NASA and divorced his wife. So, he's said to have... Okay, I don't totally know how to pronounce this, so just bear with me. (laughs) He said he had a samadhi experience which i've tried to get like a clearer picture on what it actually is and it seems to be like a very intense meditative experience and Mm. he's given quite a few interviews on the subject since and what i thought really summed it up was this quote from cabinet magazine where he said after the work was done when we were coming home i had time to contemplate the spacecraft was working well i could look out the window for three days and enjoy it I had a non-local feeling that there is something here I don't understand, even though I know about galactic formation, how the stars and elements were formed, and so on. I felt a part of it. It was my molecules. It was was a real abstract sensation. What? So, he really had a moment in space, basically. Yeah, he was, like, feeling it. He was out there alone. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And I mean, I know astronauts have said to, like, have like kind of like intense moments because you're like looking at the entire world but this one seems to be especially intense um so with this life-altering perspective change he co-founded the institute of noetic sciences a non-profit dedicated to studying how belief thought and intentions affect the physical world So basically, I'm interpreting this as he wanted to connect, like, what I'm calling the spiritual intellectual with, like, science. So this sounds like randonautica, like the intentions and your surroundings interacting. Is that what you're saying? That is a good point. I'm glad you pointed that out. He had a lot of, uh, he believed that in, like, a lot of, like, psychic stuff. So maybe it is a similar thread although i didn't go quite into that as much because what i really want to talk about is the fact that he's been extremely outspoken in his belief that aliens are real so a nasa astronaut is telling us that they're real people like you have to believe it at this point like exactly (laughs) who else do you have to hear it from I mean, I didn't tell you all of his, like, life history and accomplishments for nothing. I was trying to establish some credibility, you know? (laughs) Um, And that is kind of because he doesn't really have a lot of evidence. But let me tell you the details of what he believes. So he claims that high-level government and military officials have hidden evidence of UFOs, particularly over the White Sands testing range in New Mexico. New Mexico, anybody? Mm -hmm. Seems like there's a lot of activity out there. Um, 
He's also on record saying that they were interested in White Sands, this area in New Mexico, because it was an atomic weapons testing ground, and the extraterrestrials wanted to know about our military capabilities. And they apparently have a particular interest in keeping us out of war and helping create a peaceful Earth. So Military.com reports that he also shared that military personnel had revealed to him that aliens were responsible for disabling nuclear missiles and shooting them down over the Pacific coast. So, what does he have to say about the Roswell incident that we talked about in episode 16? I'm going to just direct quote from this interview with Observer. So, the interview asks, I'd like to follow up on some of your previous comments regarding extraterrestrial life. Going back to the Roswell incident, many believe the crashing of an alien craft was covered up by the government. Is there anything that you know that differs from what the public is aware of? And Mitchell responds, Well... I think it's out there in the public. Circumstances were, of course, that the Roswell incident was a post-World War II event. We were doing nuclear testing over the white sa- over in the White Sands, uh, which was right across the mountain from Roswell, and the Roswell airfield was a military base supporting that. So it seems that most likely what the aliens were interested in was the fact that we had a weapons testing facility at the White Sands Proving Ground, and were also interested in what we were doing or what the U.S. military was doing. So... So he's just Interesting. like, he's just like totally as believing that these aliens, like that Roswell thing was aliens because 100% because he's saying like, oh yeah, like that's why they came here. Absolutely. He has, apparently he has some like Intel people have said who worked at Roswell, like to him, this is real. This happened. And on the, on the topic, while I'm at it, he said, there is no doubt that aliens have visited and they are here now. So what now? They're here now, people. <laughs> they are here now. Where? Like so. among us? <gasps> I I don't know. Oh, probably. On that note, Among Us. I saw a TV show a long time ago, and I don't even remember what it's called. About this family that moves into a neighborhood, and all of their neighbors are aliens. Oh yeah, that was on like ABC Family or something. Yeah, I never what saw was that. that. I don't know. I never saw that, but they always like advertise for it. Uh, I think it was. I don't remember. I, I couldn't even tell you, but I definitely watched it for maybe like a season. So <laughs> we should check it out is what I'm trying to say. Um, so all of that information is fine and well, and it just kind of comes down to whether you take this decorated astronaut's word for it or not. But I did uncover a little something interesting when I was digging for the scoop on this story. So you remember like the whole WikiLeaks Hillary Clinton email scandal? Yeah. Like big thing. Um, a few of the emails were actually from Mitchell, our astronaut, to Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, John Podesta. And one email from January of 2015 discussed setting up a meeting to disclose information related to zero point energy, which I guess is like a very sustainable kind of space energy. Um, and also having a colleague bring them up to date on the vatican's awareness of extraterrestrial intelligence the vatican so, yes like the vatican the church the, ch- the church the church is in on this the pope knows what's up oh my gosh so this is just like involving everybody we have oh the clinton's astronauts the pope <laughs> the pope who else is this there is a, i mean we'll see i'm just saying the church is supposedly in on this, according to this leaked email. And he also sent another email in August, sort of urging Podesta to take this seriously because the ETs would not tolerate military violence on Earth or in space. So this meeting that Mitchell was trying to set up never actually took place. But Podesta did say one of his biggest regrets of 2014 was not securing the disclosure of the UFO files. He also said that there are still classified files that could be declassified on the subject. Mm. So the article that shared all this information on the Podesta-Mitchell connection was from 2016. So I felt like I would be remiss if I didn't actually look at some of the alien documents that, that were declassified while we've been in quarantine. Because in case you missed it, uh, they've just been like dropping all these bombshells on us while we've been distracted by the virus, <laughs> like parallel universes, aliens, what? you name parallel it. Parallel universe. Oh, did you not hear that one? No. Oh my gosh. I think it was like NASA or someone that was like, there's 
probably a parallel universe to ours, like right there. I don't know. You should look it up because it was very interesting. I don't have the deets. That but, is um, a bombshell. I did not hear that. Oh yeah, that was a that was a big one for me. I was astonished. Um, but yeah, so. We talked about this a little in episode 16, but I didn't have the details, um, so I've actually done my homework this time. Basically, uh, the government released reports and three videos of U.S. Navy aircraft encountering, quote, unidentified aerial phenomena, and they named them as various things like weather balloons and unidentified attack drones, and the reports are basically like, nobody coordinated with us and it's a threat to us because they're in our airspace. So the reports detail the measures they're taking to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'll give you a little bit of it. Um, One part is talking about a little flying object that they picked up on radar. 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 (laughs) Um, They wrote, The unknown aircraft appeared to be small in size, approximately the size of a suitcase and silver in color. HA passed within 1,000 feet of the object, but was unable to positively determine or identify the aircraft. HP attempted to regain visual contact with the aircraft, but was unable. HP passed the information on the unidentified aircraft to the local fleet area controlling and surveillance facility. The controlling agency saw no radar returns, nor a squawk that correlated to the unidentified aircraft. So the conclusion on this one is, quote, unknown agency failed to notify controlling agency of unmanned aerial system operations. So basically... They're just accepting. They don't know who it is. They don't know what it is, but it's in their airspace and that's a problem. They also released some videos recorded by infrared cameras where you see these unidentified flying things. And I'll admit, some of them are pretty weird. Um, Like it doesn't look like any technology we really have access to. Like in one of the videos, you can hear the guys in the background like, what is this thing? You see it rotate and behave pretty unusually, uh, but basically the military classifies them as drones. The problem is they just don't really know whose drone it is, so they don't know who to take issue with. (laughs) Um, But officially, from what I can tell, their viewpoint is we can't deny that UFOs exist because there are unidentified flying objects, but they can't confirm that they're extraterrestrial or that there's intelligent life elsewhere. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not like they're really revealing anything to us. They're just like giving us enough to satisfy us. You know, it's not anything juicy. Anything is a UFO if it's in the air and it's unknown. (laughs) I think that word has just been kind of like uh, overused maybe. Uh Uh-huh. I would, I would concur. Um, So, you know, make your assumptions, make your educated guesses. Um, Hopefully, this information has influenced you one way or the other. I just personally thought it was very interesting that uh, I feel like you don't usually hear of people like NASA astronauts speculating in this kind of stuff. So, it's pretty interesting. And now everyone's roped into it. The Clintons, the church, like... It's big stuff. So I thought it was something worth sharing for that this episode. Is very worth sharing. I can't I'm still stuck on that whole like the Clintons and the Pope thing. That part was like I completely randomly stumbled upon it. I think I was Googling like literally like UFO astronaut and it was like how an astronaut and aliens wound up in Hillary Clinton's email and I was like, what is this? So it was kind of buried, but pretty interesting. Wow. So where is that astronaut today? Oh, I should probably have mentioned this. He actually passed away in 2016, which is unfortunate. Um, But he actually did a lot of other interesting stuff. Like he definitely believed in the fact that people could be psychic. And I think it's like ESP. I don't totally get what it is. Mm -hmm. But he did some like experiments regarding his psychicness on the moon as well. So, like, look into that if you feel so inclined. Like, hmm. he would, like, meditate on some thoughts, some specific thoughts, and then supposedly people on the ground would, like, receive his thoughts. Oh, like telepathy. Yeah. Apparently, some of, like, the transmissions were correct. Like, he would log them, and then they would log them, and then 
some of them matched up i guess so if you're into that kind of thing check mm, it out mm, uh that's super he's interesting. A very interesting guy uh maybe i'll go into that one in a little detail yeah i'd love later but. i'd love to do an episode or a story on some kind of like telepathy thing because i was actually yesterday listening to a podcast super good podcast um and it's actually the podcast that inspired me for my next story but they told um, a story about these electricians in like the 60s who believed like this whole group almost like a cult of electricians who believed in like telepathy because (laughs) they thought that there was you know there's wavelengths that you can see wavelengths that you like the radios can pick up and things like that and they thought there was another wavelength that brains can interact with and send and stuff so well maybe that's what that guy was talking about i'm thinking it very well could have been so (laughs) we'll go into it maybe someday I love that he touched on the whole Roswell thing, too, because... Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that whole thing was so confusing. I even think about this all the time, that part about the Roswell story where they said that the photo is not the what actually crashed. Right. And so you know that there's people who were there who are who know the real stories slash are, like, confused and are being misled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just happy that someone's, like, actually involved and speaking up and telling these things is he allowed to talk about that stuff if he was an astronaut like is he classified i mean there was seems to be because i think probably the reason it was all right was because none of the information he was sharing was like related to his trip to space you know like there wasn't anything like super top secret that occurred while he was there um but yeah, I think it was all the information he was sharing was all like from like other people who had like whispered it to him yeah. as far as I can tell. But so he's it was still probably like, like he was a good public figure to do it, you know? And if he's working there with these people, like he's super high up, super high security clearance, you know, to go on the True. moon. True. Then I feel like you have to be, you know, being told things by very important people, I'm assuming. Very true. I mean, I would think so. They can't just send them in there and not tell them about aliens, right? (laughs) Well, and it's so crazy that when he came back, he was, like, convinced. I feel like if you go into space and, like, you don't believe in aliens, then you get to space and you suddenly do believe in aliens. That's, like, where they would be. I don't know where else you would go to, like, figure Mm -hmm. it out. So, So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And on the Roswell subject, Roswell is, like about two hours driving from this white sands area Uh so it it's reasonable that an alien who was looking at the white sands area could have been over roswell you know what i mean yeah so there's a lot of interconnectedness between all of this wow oh my gosh that was i kind of do consider this a deep dive like this is you think yeah it's like the part of the story that i was dying to know last time like what (laughs) What did people see? Some logistics. What are yeah, like what are the government people dealing with? Like what are their thoughts? Well, now we know one. They're all involved. <laughs> oh it's man. A big deal. But yeah, do you want to do your story? I'm I really will. excited. Okay, my story is really long today, but I'm going to try not to make it too long. So I'm stoked about it. I'm really excited. So this one like I said, when we started, we're recording two episodes this week because we're releasing them on normal times, but like, you know, we're just getting it mm-hmm. ahead of the game. And so I did the first one and Alex, my sister texted me at the perfect timing. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do for the next one. And she sent me this podcast that I'd never heard of before. It's called Supernatural and it's hosted by, um, the woman who hosts an, an another amazing podcast called Crime Junkie. So she sends me this episode and she's like, you have to dive into this. You have to do this topic on your podcast. And this episode was all about reincarnation and past life (gasps) memories. Oh, I'm excited. So yeah, I'm just going to dive right into it. Um, Talk a little bit of background. So essentially, every religion has some type of belief system centered around like the main question, what happens when you die? Where do you go? What are you even without your physical body, right? And 
religions around the world have been rooted in the ideas of reincarnation, past lives, and whatever kind of afterlife you can imagine. Um, the main religions that believe in reincarnation can include Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and many more. So it's definitely not a new idea. But it wasn't until the later 19th century and early 20th century when scientists and researchers in the Western world started exploring the idea of what past lives, you know, might look like in a scientific way. And people in the 60s wrote a lot of books and studied it and it became this big like cultural phenomenon. Um, So a few cases really picked up in popularity And it put the idea in people's minds that um, maybe you could remember parts of your previous life. And so people would go to psychologists and doctors to try to, you know, figure this out. But a lot of these cases were surrounding this technique called, uh, it's a type of psychological hypnosis called past life regression therapy. Mm. So... Past life regression therapy is when primarily adults seek the help of therapists, psychologists, and even hypno- hip- sorry, hypnotists <laughs> um, to go under hypnosis and uncover the lost memories of your past life from reincarnation. So I googled this term because I you know, wanted to know what is past life regression therapy and I wanted to learn more about like the history of the practice, but it turns out this is still a very popular practice today. And the search results instantly popped up like three or four past life regression hypnosis and therapy clinics in Seattle just a few miles away. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are you going to try it out? (laughs) I kind of want to because the reviews are online are all super positive and and people are like, oh yeah, they helped me discover my past life and all this kind of stuff. Oh. So I was under the assumption that this was an older antiquated form of therapy, but no, it's like totally... A thing we should definitely <laughs> love it. add it to our road trip stop you know quickly just discover oh. your past life in seattle why not yeah no big you're already gonna <laughs> be in seattle so yeah. um so the reason i actually assumed that um this practice was out of date is because the first stories that put it on the map kind of were very quickly debunked so hmm in 1952, an amateur hypnotist slash businessman, so already sounds like a con artist to me personally. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, named Maury Bernstein used a hypnotic past life regression on one of his patients named Virginia Burns Tye. Now, Maury's technique was to take his patients back to memories that they had forgotten from their own childhood. But with Virginia he attempted to take her back one step further. Hmm. Virginia apparently went to six sessions of hypnotic therapy with Maury, and over the course of those sessions, she would apparently switch personalities with a woman she claimed to be in a past life named Birdie Murphy. Um, I mean, all right. Yeah, I mean, it's hypnosis. You, Some people believe in that. Some people don't, like, just as it is but this is like a whole nother level totally now keep in mind this is the 1950s in colorado but when virginia was under hypnosis she would speak in a thick irish accent and recount details of birdie's life sorry bridie (laughs) i keep thinking birdie it's bridie's life um in 19th century cork ireland And Virginia was born in the Midwest in 1923 and had never been to Ireland. But so, hmm. Yeah. So kind of just pulling that out of nowhere. Um, She claimed that Bridie was born on December 20th, 1798 and died in 1864. Bridie apparently was the daughter of a man named Duncan and a woman named Kathleen Murphy and she married a man named Sean Brian McCarthy. Virginia... This is a lot of specific information to so, invent. So much detail. So Virginia could also recall Bridie's death, and she claimed that she watched her own tombstone and afterlife. Then, 59 years later, she just popped up again as Virginia. Wow. So this all sounds like very creepy and detailed, and that's what the people in the press thought too. 
So journalists flocked to Murray and Virginia's stories, and several books and articles were written about them, including the 1965 publication titled The Search for Bridie Murphy, which really made reincarnation a part of pop culture. And I actually wrote this in my notes, but it's so funny because it's connected to your story. I said, (laughs) it's kind of like how aliens and UFOs were like never a new idea, but in the 70s, pop culture and conspiracies just picked it up everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So funny connection we have there. Yeah, that's funny. Well, with all of this attention, journalists and investigators really tried to look into Virginia's story and they wanted to track down this mysterious bridey person. Um, You would imagine with so many details of this person's life, you'd at least be able to find some type of record that they existed. But no one was ever able to pinpoint someone named Bridie Murphy from Cork, Ireland, with this any kind of similar birthday or even death day, family history, or anything. Oh. But what they did find made uh, pu- the public begin to question Murray Bernstein's miraculous hypnosis. It turns out Virginia did have a neighbor growing up in Wisconsin whose name was Bridie Murphy Corkwell who was an immigrant from Ireland. So the name is spelled slightly differently from Virginia's Bridie Murphy. However, it does seem more likely than not that Murray's hypnotic technique of bringing Virginia back to her childhood memories and then beyond actually just created a false memory and storylines of a past life based on details of her own childhood. Hmm. So after hearing the end of this like iconic story, I started to really lose faith in the idea of past life regression and past life memories. After all, it is far too easy to plant a false memory or conjure up a storyline based on like subliminal messaging or memories of your own. Um, but what happens when you don't have suppressed childhood memories or subliminal knowledge picked up over the years to influence your memories? What happens when you're a child no more than a couple years old And you can recall intensive details of places you've never been, professions you've never had, and people that you've never met before. Oh. So this is what I want to tell you in my last story, because I know that one was kind of long. But when I say it's the last one. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am so excited because when I say it's the last one, I can already guarantee you I'm going to do a deep dive on this topic and share so many more amazing and like baffling stories of past life memories. So this last story is the kind of story that makes me a total believer in reincarnation. And it turns out it is extremely common for children from age five to seven years old to start talking about memories of a previous life. It's actually so common that there are hundreds of books and articles for parents to help navigate them and like how to help them deal with these alarming stories and deal with the crazy things that their children are telling them. Hmm. Um, And the strangest thing though about this phenomenon is that when people or children get to about the age of seven or eight, they typically begin to forget all of the memories and stories that they once knew when they were younger. I've totally heard this before. Not like any details, mm-hmm. but I think I've heard that like when kids are younger, they're more like not susceptible, but they have, you know, like it's kind of the same thing where like kids, younger kids tend to see ghosts more exactly. often. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought when I read that too. It's something about them when their brains are less developed. Some people say it's because their imagination is so much, you know, stronger um Lame. but i think it's just they have less awareness they have less you know cognitive ability honestly <laughs> and they're just not bogged down by everyday stuff true um so i'm ta- i'm saying typically and usually because although the these you know stories can be common the stories and memories told by shanti devi a young girl in delhi india are anything but usual So, Shanti Devi was born on December 11th, 1926 in Delhi, India. She was seemingly healthy and normal little baby, um, but her parents got concerned when they realized that she would not speak at all. Oh. So, usually when children don't develop speaking skills um, at like a later age, it can be a sign of either a cognitive development issue, maybe an early sign of autism, 
But when Shanti mm-hmm. doesn't start to speak when she's about four years old, her family is astonished when she does begin speaking and speaks in complete full sentences like an adult. You're kidding. No. So she essentially skipped the whole baby babble phase. And at four years old, she just started talking like anyone else. Uh-huh. And not only was it the way that she spoke that was unsettling, but what she talked about was baffling. She told her family how she was not born in Delhi, but she was born in a place called Mutra. Or sorry, Mathura. I think that's how you say it. In okay. India. Um, and that her name was not Shanti, but instead her name was Lugdi. And Shanti's parents were certain that they had never taken her to this place before, but they figured that maybe she had heard of it on her own. Maybe she heard it yeah. on the news, you know. But then their four-year-old started asking them where her husband and children were. And she was <laughs> adamant that she needed to return to Matura to be with her real family. Oh, my gosh. So first that of all... That would freak me out. <laughs> you have a baby. You're, like, super excited to have a baby. They don't act like a baby. They're, like, an adult human in a baby body. True. And they're basically saying, you're not my family. Where's my real family? Like, that's just kind of sad. It's heartbreaking. They don't prepare you for that when you uh, become a parent. No. So she ended up telling stories of her husband owning a cloth and fabric shop and of her son, who she missed dearly. Her parents had assumed that Shanti just had an active imagination, imaginary friends, and she was probably just like really smart for her age. But the more that time went on, the more and more Shanti would comment about her other life in ways that her parents could not explain away. She'd comment on different foods that she would eat back in Matura, um, and she would refuse to eat meat because her town was a very religious one over there and they did not eat any meat. She Hmm. would comment when her mother was picking out clothes and tell her which fabrics were high quality and low quality, according to her husband's clothing shop. Um, And she even provided the street address of where his shop was located in that other town. What? Sorry, what year did you say this was So she was born in 1926. 1930 is when she started talking. So this is like, there's no realistic way that she would get this information. Like, it's not no, like, there's no it's internet. like on the internet. Yeah, she probably can't operate a phone. You know, she's right. a, a child. Um, maybe she could read a newspaper, but like. But that's a lot of specific detail yeah. for a newspaper. Exactly. She would even describe the man that she called her husband in great detail, but she refused to say his name because at the time it was considered a sign of disrespect to say your husband's name in public in India. Hmm. So Shanti even recalled how Lugdi had died during childbirth with her son. She explained how Lugdi had needed a C-section and a subsequent surgery that went wrong. And when she was six years old, Shanti's parents took her to a doctor to have her examined. And the doctor determined that she was totally fine and healthy, but he was shocked by how much knowledge Shanti had about the procedure that she claimed killed her. So she had like extensive medical knowledge about this surgery. Oh my gosh. Now, to me, this is already enough evidence to convince me that Shanti is the reincarnated soul of Lugdi. But in India... no kidding. Yeah. But in India, many major religions already believed in reincarnation. So the thought of Shanti remembering past lives was really not too far-fetched at the time. When Shanti got to the age when children's past life memories tend to fade away, however, hers seemed to deepen. So when she was six years old, Shanti even tried to run away to Matura to find her way back home. Then when Shanti was eight eight years old, she finally confessed that she knew the name of her long-lost husband. Shanti's teacher told her that if she could tell him the name of her husband, that he would bring Shanti to Matura to find the family that she left behind. So Shanti could not refuse this offer, and she ever so quietly whispered into her teacher's ear the name, oh my god, let me try to say this, <laughs> Pandit Kedarnath Chaub, I think. I know that's 100% yeah. wrong, um, but the husband eventually will go by 
um, Kadar. So okay. her teacher kept his promise, but he wanted to write to this man, Kadar, and ask him, you know, if he did indeed have a wife named Lugdi and confirm some of the details that Shanti was saying. And Kadar wrote back immediately, confirming pretty much everything that Shanti had said. His, oh my gosh. His wife, Lugdi, was born in 1902, and she had died of childbirth in 1925 um, after giving birth to her son. So that is just about one year before Shanti was born. And Kadar did indeed own a clothing shop on the street that Shanti had said. Oh my gosh. So now with everyone almost convinced, um, Kadar decides to send his cousin, who lives in Delhi, to see Shanti without any warning and so that he could test to see if she's lying. But when the cousin came to Shanti's house, she recognized him right away as her husband's cousin and she threw her arms around him. Oh my gosh. The cousin was talking to Shanti and listening for facts that only Lugdi could could have possibly known. And Shanti ended up telling him all about some money that she had hid in the house before she died. The cousin knew that Kadar had indeed found the money in the location right after Lugdi passed away and took the money. Oh my gosh. So the cousin was convinced that Shanti was the real deal. Finally, Kadar was convinced to come to Delhi and visit Shanti and see for himself. He brought uh, with him their son, Nanvit, who was 10 years old, and his wife, uh, I didn't get her name, but essentially a new wife. Okay. Um, he also wants to try to trick Shanti, and um, he tells her that he is Lugdi's husband's older brother. But Shanti starts blushing right away, and everyone says, why are you blushing? What are you doing? And she <laughs> says, no, you are my husband. So Shanti's parents are in shock because the man that they see before them is identical to who Shanti has been describing for years. Oh, my gosh. Now, during dinner, Shanti asks her parents to pre- prepare Kedar his favorite meals, and they spoke for hours about their past life together and fondest memories. And keep in mind, she's about eight or nine years old. Right. That would be so weird. Yeah. Shanti also confronted Kadar and reminded him that before Lugdi died, she had made him promise that he would never remarry, a promise he oh. clearly did not keep. Oh, that's brutal. Shanti also disclosed all of the details of their marriage and even how they had conceived their son. So oh. these details, there's no way anyone could know other than Kadar. Right. At this point, including Kadar, everyone was convinced and that Shanti was Lugdi, but her parents still did not want to allow her to travel to Mathura. So the news picked up on Shanti's amazing story and it spread everywhere, even to Gandhi. <gasps> now, Gandhi meets with Shanti to hear her story and they talk for hours and even he was convinced. So finally, Gandhi was able to persuade Shanti's family to allow her to visit Mathura in 1935. So she's about almost 10. Okay. So this is what happened when they get there. On the train ride to to Mathura, Shanti exclaims like how excited she is and she starts talking all about the town and she even talks about how uh, when they get there, the main temple doors will be closed because she knows the exact hours that they're open, closed, everything like that. Sure. And of course, she's correct. <laughs> On the platform when they arrive, uh, Shanti is, spots a man in the crowd and paused. Everyone asks, you know, who was he? And she said it was her husband's brother. She was also correct. It was Kadar's brother, random man wow. in the crowd. On the car ride through the city, Shanti commented on all the things that had changed since her death and all the things were true. Um, when she got to her nearby house, she asked the driver to pull over because she recognized her father-in-law. She ran up to the house, you know, went up to the father-in-law and could find her way through the house as if she'd been there a hundred times. <laughs> she even started speaking um, certain words and parts of language that were really popular in this town, but were not used in Delhi, kind of like different slang and um, slightly sure. different language. 
Uh, and so she was teaching her parents the, all these new things. Finally, she guided the driver to the house that Lugdi had lived in with Kadar, and she was so excited to finally be home. She went to the yard to show them where the well had been, but it was gone. Oh, no. So was this finally the first thing that Shanti was wrong about? No, the well had just simply been covered up. It it was still there. (laughs) She also complained that the house had previously been yellow, but now it was white. And it turns out the new owners had covered up yellow paint before they moved in. Interesting. Shanti was also introduced to Lugdi's parents, where they all sat together and wept for hours. Oh. Um, so this evidence is just very hard to dispute. Um, and this has actually been one of the most studied and documented cases ever. So a lot of this sounds like it could be just like hearsay, people, you know, making statements to get attention. Sure. Um, but a lot of the it was in the 1930s, a lot of this communication was documented through letter writing. Um, and throughout her entire life, you know, even into her adulthood and ultimately to her death, Shanti was adamant that she was indeed Lugdi. And doctors and scientists have been able to scientifically verify 24 of the statements she made about Lugdi's past and claim that they were 100% accurate. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they used like the straight up scientific method to uncover like undoubtable truths that Shanti knew. Gotta that, love that. Yeah, that she could not have known any other way. So I don't know if you can say that this is necessarily proof of reincarnation or proof of past life memories, but it is very hard to dispute. And it's one of those cases where no matter how you try to debunk it, it is very hard to cover up the obvious you know questions and mystery of it all like it doesn't seem like there's nothing i can plausibly think of that would have given her that specific detailed information yeah all i can think of is if this was a giant ploy by the parents to get attention which i feel like I don't think that that was something people would want attention for. But if reincarnation is like this already widely accepted thing and you maybe you could, you know, have some kind of religious fame, then maybe they could like track down a family in another town, maybe be in on it with them and then Mm. make this whole story. I but, mean, they met Gandhi, so like, but th- and that could have been. So I don't know. That could have been the end game all along. Yeah, that's true. Like you know the Gypsy Rose thing, where like the mom made her sick, so she, you know that story. Oh yeah, like like it could Munchausen. be kind of like that. Yeah, but like without that, <laughs> but the attention part. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you never know, and. I I think it's really interesting that this was treated like a scientific investigation, just like any other kind yeah. of case would be. Um, but it's still a mystery. And there's so, so many more stories like that. Um, not necessarily ones that were of people believing this their entire life, but definitely of young, right. young children knowing things about you know like professions or (laughs) like if if their past life was like an engineer they know how like engines work or something you know that's so interesting that is not something i ever thought i'd have to be prepared for as a parent uh but i I guess it's gonna be on my radar now (laughs) so i the first time i heard a podcast about this was like a really long time ago it wasn't any of these stories but it was just about in general like the phenomenon Mm-hmm. And I asked my mom, I was like, well, did I ever say anything that sounded weird? And she's like, oh, yeah, I don't remember what it was. But like we you always <sighs> said something that like sounded like a past life. And I'm so mad that she didn't yeah. like document what it was because who knows who, who knows? you could have been. Olivia. Yeah. So maybe we'll have to do past life regression therapy and figure it out. Yeah. Girls trip. Right. We can yeah. all hit up the therapist <laughs> <laughs> oh man that is going to have me thinking for a long time i've yeah. like for mo- 
for a lot of that story, I was sitting here just like in stunned silence because I, I didn't know what to say. I did not know what to say. It's just, it's hard to, like, it's easy when you first hear like, oh, she said this. You can be like, oh, well, maybe she heard it on a newspaper or maybe someone at school said something like that. Maybe her parents don't remember saying something in front of her. But right. then as the connections just build and build and build, it, it's very hard to find mm-hmm. a, another solution but who knows especially during that time period like yes nowadays i feel like anything is possible and yeah nothing is real you can literally <laughs> everything is fake that's yeah. so true <laughs> um but wow thank you for sharing and thank you alex for uh hitting us up with that one yes and i would like to ask if anybody listening at all knows of either yourself or someone you know having some kind of like past life memory as a child um i know in high school some of my friends said that their parents had had experiences like that when they were kids i just want to know anything like that so (laughs) tell us on instagram tell us on our email text us if you know us please i want to know i'm pretty sure everyone who listens probably has our phone numbers yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys (laughs) but yeah that was really fun yeah i'm gonna be thinking about that for a long time well that being said good transition to plug our instagram yet again oh yeah um so if you want to tell us your past life regression stories you can find us at deviant little darlings and you can also find our amazing filters we have two and the reason we keep plugging all of our like social instagram updates is because katie has been working so hard and creating like (laughs) the coolest things for our page like i just can't get over them you know how many people a quarantine hobby (laughs) you know how many people messaged me asking if i was going on a road trip when i reposted your like road trip like where are you going (laughs) i was like oh my gosh (laughs) well read the caption people hello (laughs) Um, but yeah, try out our filter. It's super fun. We'll be posting some demos. And um, if your story is really long that you want to send us, like if you have a ton of cool information, you can always email it to us at deviantlittledarlings at gmail.com. And yeah, we'd we love would to love to hear it. We'd love to tell your story or just listen to it if you don't want us to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, please, please, if you respond to anything we've ever said, please let this be it because I am actually really curious. <laughs> um, if you are looking to switch up your listening platform, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and anchor.fm slash deviantlittledarlings. So please give us a listen, give us a download. Give us a little rate and review wherever you want to, (laughs) wherever you can. Um, And we will see you next time. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Peace out. (laughs)